You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about energy policy and engage celebrities. I am Yasmin Lomax. And I am Micah Hahn. And this is episode number five. five. It is five, isn't it? It is five. It is five. We're so sure of that. Yeah. yeah. Welcome to episode number five. Um, how have you been lately, Micah? I've been good. Just continuing on summer months of enjoying the sun, hanging out. Oh, that's beautiful. Hey, next time we'll talk to you. Like, you'll be back at back back at at school. Woo! I mean, like, I feel like I'm kind of at school because I'm studying every day. But uh, whatever. For I am studying for the GRE, which is I don't actually know what it stands for, but it's (laughs) it's the graduate record examination. Says my GRE book beside me. Um, It's the exam you take to get into graduate school. Oh my god! I'm such a grown up. Universities. I know. It feels like it. Also, I'm doing a lot of math, which makes me feel like I'm back in high school. Yeah, God, I haven't done like math in like a very long time. I don't mean either, so it was very weird. That is weird. Um, yeah, similar similar stuff going on here. Just uniing, working, all that jazz. Um, we are pretty excited about a current celebrity engagement, though, that we just want to give a shout out to in our opening segment. Um, we did talk about Pete and Ariana a few episodes ago, which you should go back and listen to. Mm-hmm. But there is another kind of speedy one that we that we like. Um, I was very, I don't know what, I was very excited for um, Priyanka Chopra and Nick Jonas's engagement. Only it's because so exciting. it's so cute and they're like... Yeah. I love the fact that you sent me the awesome tweet about how the fact that he took his family to India to do this cultural ceremony that was clearly very important to her. It's just so nice. Like, that's awesome. awesome. I just, like, I retweeted it. My comment was, like, damn, seven-year-old me had good taste. Like, I, <laughs> I picked a good, a He's good Jonas brother. Yeah, I mean, like, I love the other ones as well. Um, I think Joe's fiance Sophie Turner, who is a Game of Thrones star, she mm-hmm. has um, congratulated them. And she actually was, like, she got papped crying the other day. Mm-hmm. And um, everyone was like, what's going on? And she said something like, yeah, periods suck, but, like, it's really good that I have such a nice fiance who's, like, there to support me. And I was like, oh, my God, so all the Jonas Brothers are so cute. Ah. Um, in other cuteness, um, as we are recording this, uh, Montreal Pride is just wrapping up. Mm-hmm. Um, and your prime minister is there. He is wearing um, he, white pants. He went to Vancouver Pride as well earlier this month. What which was cool. Bay. Yeah. And very cool. Very cool. Um, yeah, well, I guess we haven't been that excited. <laughs> we haven't been very exciting this I, month. I think we've just been, like, doing what we do. Yeah, I think, like, we've, like, finally kind of settled back into home life because, like, you were in New York for such a long time and mm-hmm. then, like, I was in like Ireland and then New Zealand. And I think this is like the first solid month I have been in one here. place. Yeah. So, and it's, it's just getting back into that, that routine. Um, but it did give me lots of time to 
read, watch, and listen to things. Seamless transition. Mm. What have you been um, reading this month, Micah? Um, well, speaking of traveling, I read um, Run by Anne Patchett. Ooh. One, because I really enjoy Anne Patchett. Um, I read Commonwealth earlier this year. But two, because it's set in Boston. Yes. I love Boston so much. Um, Who doesn't, honestly? I've, like, I've actually never heard someone be like, um, I don't like Boston. Like, I've heard people have iffy opinions about most cities, but I don't know mm-hmm. anyone who's gone there and been like, nah, didn't do it for me. Yeah, you I've, know? Never, I've heard of people who, like, have weird ideas about Boston, but everyone I know who's been there has been like, wow, yeah. it's a place. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So what is Run about? So it's about this um, Irish upper class family who adopts, and they're po- they're like a political family, and they adopt two um, African American boys, one who's just like fresh new baby, and one who's like a year old, and they're brothers. Aww. Um, and then their mom, like their adoptive mom, dies, and so the book like starts twenty years after that. So they're both in university, and um, there's this kind of like big dramatic event that happens which I won't tell you about because it kind of spoils the book a bit yeah but it's all about like how their family interacts with each other and it's also a lot about like politics and about expectations of the children but also a lot about race obviously because it's Mm. it's very different to grow up in like because Boston's quite segregated racially and so it's Mm. interesting to like read about that um and just the setting is really well done. Like, I could oh. see it. Um, the one thing that was no. funny, though, is that um, Boston, the T, which is, for those who are uninitiated, is, like, their subway system. You uneducated swine. Exactly. Get yourself there. Um, the T until, like, the early 2000s used a token system. Oh. So, like, you have to pay, like, whatever and get, like, a bunch of tokens. And so they're taking the tea and they're like, yeah, and then he fished a token out of his pocket. And I was like, but but what about his Charlie card? Yeah, what year is this set in? Like, 2007. Oh, okay. So, so that- they made the switch, like, in 2008 or something like that. Right. So it's just a little bit. Mm. Yeah, so it, it was just funny. Um, it pulled me out of it a little bit. <laughs> um, but that's Anything really good. Anything else you've been reading? Um, I read on like a very different kind of thing. I read In Her Day um, by mm-hmm. Rita Mae Brown. And Rita Mae Brown is this very famous um, lesbian feminist from the second wave feminist movement. She was like famous for her writing, but also famous for like her participation in the movement. And so this book is um, set, set in the 70s and written in the 70s. So kind of at the height of the movement. And it's kind of like it's fiction, but it's her wanting to like work out certain ideas that are, like yeah yeah i know in feminism um which was nice it's kind of the it's a very classic way of writing intellectual books um in that mm-hmm. you want to talk about these big ideas but you don't want to just like write nonfiction, and so you write like a dialogue between people yeah like i remember um like we did a lot of that in school in like literature like a lot of the like charles dickens stuff are like mm-hmm. they're pretty much like those aesop's fables really but like just like chuck in some ghosts and some like poor children and then it's fiction (laughs) so this one was good it was about um this older lesbian woman who works at nyu actually and um 
works in the art history department and then she like meets this young woman who's part of the lesbian feminist movement and like into the women's movement and really intense about it mm. um, and it, so a lot of it has is the discussion between the two of them about like what the movement means why you wouldn't want to be in the movement and I think it's like it isn't like the best book I've ever read but I think it's really really interesting if you have any interest in feminism especially American feminism mm-hmm. um, and like its history because like if you have any knowledge of the dialogue and debate that happens within that, it's interesting to see it play out, especially because it's kind of like, like a primary source, like in the history sense. Yeah. Like it was um, written at the time, right? Yeah. So that's really cool. Um, I liked it a lot. It was a lot of fun. I want to like, I'm kind of, it's not that I'm stepping away from YA, but there's been a lot of like adult books. I hate saying the word adult books because it sounds raunchy. Um, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, and then he ripped off her bodice to exp oh no i'm not ew gross like no i'm not gonna go down that road (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so i'm i'm looking into those kind of books more that's awesome i think that's a really good a really good um recommendation um i did read one ya book and i read another one that was not a ya it Mm -hmm. was a non-fiction book um it is called meet me in the bathroom by uh journalist lizzie goodman um and i am obsessed like Mm -hmm. literally obsessed if anyone has spoken to me or like followed me on instagram in the past month i adored it so it's a very very lengthy book but worth it um, as I said, nonfiction, and it's a collection of interviews with various bands about the, like it says on the cover, like the revival of rock and roll in New York, like between 2001 and 2011, like with a definite focus on how it was ushered in in the early 2000s. Um, so yeah, it's like mainly bands like The Strokes, Interpol, Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, and then some that came like a little later on and from some other places, so like the White Stripes, The Killers, Franz Ferdinand, Kings of Leon, Vampire Weekend, that kind of thing. So if that's like your scene, mm-hmm. which it's like like very much mine, that like you'll adore it because um, it's just like really, really cool getting an insight into like, you know, how they like make the music, like they would go through their songwriting process, but also like the dynamics of the individual, uh, individual, individual <laughs> bands and um like the scene around it as well like there's a lot of stuff about like all the drugs that were going on and the clubs everyone went to and like how the bands all knew each other and then like big events that really shaped everyone's lives like 9-11 um and yeah it's really interesting because it's told entirely in interviews so like the author doesn't like interject or like guide it really i mean she does like subtly guide it but you sort of see like the bands themselves shape the story and um, like just placing quotes next to each other, like that's what it does the talking. So, you know, like one bit they focus on is the notorious like strokes, Ryan Adams, not Brian Adams, Ryan Adams beef. Mm -hmm. Um, and you have all these quotes of like the strokes slamming Ryan Adams for getting, Albert Hammond Jr. into heroin. But then you have like Ryan Adams and other people being like, um, like, is this my fault? Uh, right beside it. So it's like, it's super juicy. And yeah, there's a lot of like contrast and like, you know, some people saying one thing and other people saying another thing. And um, yeah, I just, I absolutely adored it. Like I am like, can I, I recommend it to everyone, but like, it really is only going to appeal to you if that's like your your scene of music like the they yeah. do a, there's a thing at the beginning 
I think it's called like cast of characters and it has like who everyone is. But like, if you're not already connected to those people, I don't think it's going to really like mean a lot to you. So if that's, mm-hmm. if any of those aforementioned bands are your thing, I definitely recommend Meet Me in the Bathroom, obviously named after the Stroke song because I also get a lot of funny looks off people when I'm like, oh yeah, it's called Meet Me in the Bathroom. Um, and then I did read a great YA book this month that I will talk about. It is called To All the Boys I've Loved Before by Jenny Han. And it's about a teenage girl called Lara Jean. And she's like very, very close to her dad and her two sisters. Um, just like, you know, really like, just like a lovely teenage girl. And she, Mm -hmm. she writes these letters to guys that she's fallen in love with. Like no one that she's actually been with but just guys that she's had massive crushes on and she like uses these letters as a way to let that crush go and like get over it and stuff um but somehow the letters get released and like she's not too bothered about most of them because like there are guys from like middle school but one is about how she's like in love with her sister's like very recently ex-boyfriend Josh who lives next door um so she hatches this like kind of crazy plan to pretend to date one of the other letter recipients uh Peter Kavinsky who's like the popular guy in school and then obviously like hilarity and cuteness ensue and yeah it's it's like a super super like adorable book like if you're after something like cutesy that's that's where you want to be um so I just loved how adorable it was and then it really like subverted my expectations of how it would play out it like did not like happen how I thought it would so that was really cool um and I also love like the the representation so Lara Jean is uh Korean American and like I just thought it was really good that sort of like with um, Crazy Rich Asians, which has just come out. Yeah. But um, like to see people of color getting stories where it's just them having fun because like obviously it's great to have um, like awesome for people of color to have stories about issues they face, like, you know, The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. But it's also great to have these rom-com like stories because white people have been having these stories for years without question. Like, you know, no one's looking at like a white person's story like just like fun rom-com and being like, oh, that's not political enough. Like that's not adding enough like real value. Like mm-hmm. everyone's allowed to have fun and fall in love. So um, it was really great to see that. And yeah, it has actually just been released as a movie on Netflix, which again, seamlessly leads me into beautiful things. Yeah, God, I'm good at this. Uh, things I've been watching. So um I watched it last night to all nice. the boys I've loved before. Have you seen it yet? Um, so funny story. Last night, my friend and I were like, we're, we're going to watch like something. And then yeah. she had read the book and she was like, like, I want to watch it. But I also was so frustrated by the book because she couldn't get over the fact that she had actually like addressed the letters. to the Yeah, I don't, I, that, that, that got to me because yeah. like, they didn't actually explicitly explain that. And then like somehow the letters got to these people's mailboxes and I was like, Wait, what? Like, this girl put addresses on them? So then we started talking about The Kissing Booth, which is the other, like, new Netflix teen movie. Yeah. Did you like it? Nope. See, I loved it. We both think it's adorable and cute. Yeah. No. Okay, well, if you like that, you're going to definitely enjoy this because it's a lot better. (laughs) 
it's a hell of a lot better. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed, I enjoyed the movie. Um, it was very funny. It was like some really great like lines in it. Um, they do explain that like a dress bit a little bit better. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like, they sort of like emphasize that she's someone who like fantasizes about being in love, but is scared to like actually like be in love. So like her addressing the letters was kind of like subconsciously, like, you know, getting to that stage where you actually want to like let it play out so mm-hmm. um that was that was a little bit better explained um yeah it was a really really funny bits like there's she has this friend called chris and like she's like oh um i'm just gonna go google justin trudeau shirtless <laughs> same uh, <laughs> and then oh yeah there's a bit where like her friend is like i see the way he looks at you and she's like how and he's like like you're a sexy little Rubik's cube that he can't quite figure out. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's hilarious. So, um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely enjoyed that. And I definitely recommend, um, only thing is the, the two guys in it, Peter and Josh are like kind of similar looking. Um, yeah. yeah, Josh is a little bit more, um, super skinny white boy who dresses like it's the early two thousands. Um, and has like sad eyes um, and the other one's like a little bit more like conventionally like hot guy but it's like I mean they're both brown haired dudes so it's a little bit like a little bit confusing there but like um, they're both great so mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that um, another thing I've been watching this month is Queer Eye um, I'm very very late to the party on this one obviously <laughs> Just a little late yeah, but I've mentioned it to a lot of people recently and, like, they didn't know what it was, like, at all. So um, if you're one of those, um, it's actually a reboot of an early 2000s series called Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, though the name was eventually shortened to, like, encompass the wider scope. Um, and it's basically about, like, five gay guys called the Fab Five who make over the life of someone who needs it. So they focus mm-hmm. on fashion, grooming interior design food and wine and culture so they're each like an expert in these areas um so if you like fun reality tv this is definitely for you because like they actually do good makeovers like it's really satisfying to watch ones where you know someone's being like you know they're being groomed and it oh no not being groomed that doesn't sound good (laughs) (laughs) um they're getting a haircut um, and like, you know, you see a lot of ones and they're just like, I'm just going to shave the beard off and like, whoa, but like Jonathan who does the grooming, he like really listens to them and like, he's very, very sassy and like funny and like extra, but he actually like listens to like what their daily routine is and like how that's going to work for it. And, um, same as Tan, who's like the fashion guy, like, although he definitely like interjects his own personal style cause he's really into like printed button ups and things like that. Yeah. Like he does incorporate what like the people's lives are like and what their personal interests are and like same as even the interior like you know when you watch those makeover shows and then they just give someone this like beautiful house but you're like hey they've got five kids like how is that gonna like work for them because yeah. there's two cupboards there now um yeah bobby actually like does things that are like functional and it's really great um but it's also like much deeper so we see people's lives like really really change you know the, the people at the beginning are usually really lacking in self-confidence and by the end they're a completely different person you know not just from being made over but like because of like the friendship of these five guys yeah. and um 
I think that goes like both ways. So like the, the fab five are able to like educate themselves on some of like the problems these people face. So there's an episode where um, they're working with a trans man who just undergone top surgery Mm -hmm. and um, like they're able to educate themselves on issues faced by the trans community. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a moment when Karama, the culture expert who is um, African-American was pulled over by a cop and um, they ended up like making over a cop, but like they were able to explore a lot of the um, police, like African-American tensions in that episode. Um, And then there was like, a really beautiful episode in season two where um, like the, they were working with this woman and her son was able to sort of like reconcile his relationship with the church. But so was like Bobby, the interior design guy, because like he had kind of a bit of a rocky relationship like yeah. with his sexuality in the church. Um, and like, yeah, it was just really beautiful to see, to see them like getting something from it as well. And you know, it's just five beautiful, kind, respectful, like funny guys who are just a joy to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I'm in love with Anthony, the food and wine expert, because um, I want him to cook for me because I suck. <laughs> and he has great taste in t-shirts and I love him. And he was at Montreal Pride with Justin. So like, he was, you know, he's a uh, Quebecois. Yeah. Oh my God. Micah sent me a video of them speaking French together um, this morning. And I was like, it's call me by your name. Did a number on me with that one. (laughs) (laughs) What have you been watching this month? So this month I've been watching um, a Canadian show. Um, Very rarely are Canadian shows any good. Um, The main, um, like TV network that makes shows and they're mostly funded by the government. So they're fine. Um, and with an E is a really popular Canadian show that people watch only because it got picked up by Netflix. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. But so what I've been watching is X company. Um, it's already mm-hmm. over. There's three seasons. Um, and it's about these spies during world war two. Cause it, in real life during um, World War II, there was actually a spy camp called Camp X in Oshawa, Ontario. And if that doesn't sound like a place you know, it's probably because you don't, because um, no one, they put it there because they thought no one would suspect that they would train spies in Oshawa, which and makes you're like, sense. true. Yeah, yeah, no one did expect that. Um, so so uh, it's a great show, great characters, great drama, um, pretty historically accurate, um, like, lots of death because it's the war mm-hmm. but that's fine um the only problems i have with it are one it's way too short there's three seasons and there's only about 10 episodes for each season and, and is it best, over yeah and my best friend Aww. already watched it and she was like it's so hard to finish it. and i was like no no i'll be fine and then i got to like season two and i started slowing down how much i was watching it because i was like it can't be over it's not fair um <laughs> And then my other problem is the languages. So they are in occupied France and they're all Canadian um, and there are Germans because the Nazis. But the way that they do the languages is that in the first two seasons, English is spoken with a Canadian accent or like whatever, whatever accent. Um, French is spoken in English with a French accent. And then German is in German. Until the third season where they infiltrate the Nazis and German is all of a sudden spoken with a German accent but in English. 
Oh, stop. I know. It's very consistent, guys. I know. It's very BBC. Like, BBC does a lot of, like, World War II dramas. Yeah. They're constantly doing just, but they don't even do accents. They just, like, do them in British. (laughs) Like, (laughs) there's one with David Tennant, um, about, also about spies, and it's just, like, him talking in, I guess he's Scottish, but he speak, he's using a British accent. Yeah. You're like, but, Dr. but you're in France. Yeah, um, I even felt that with, like, speaking of Doctor Who, like, they would go to some, like, alien planet and everyone would just have, like, a British a accent. British accent. <laughs> it's so weird. It was, like, literally the standard. Oh, it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, X Company is great. It's a great, like, like, it's not, it, it's weird to say it's easy because they talk about, like, concentration camps and stuff like that but it's not like horrifically depressing like some shows are Um, yeah and like you get really invested in the characters so i was i love historical shows and i love historical movies do you have any favorites um i'm pretty obsessed with the cold war so Mm -hmm. um uh yeah we're (laughs) that's my my jazz the cold war um so i loved goodbye lenin which is um actually a german film that came out i think in the early 2000s mm-hmm. um and it's in german so it's like it's subtitled because like i'm just really like intellectual like that yeah um yeah um but it's really cool it's about this guy who's like mom is like a big supporter of um like the communist regime in germany um and then she has like she falls into a coma and then while she's like comatose the wall falls and like you know like Mm -hmm. westernization comes to the former gdr Mm -hmm. and the doctors are like you know she wakes up and they're like if she has like any form of like shock like she could die and they're like oh no because like the regime that she loved is gone like the country Mm -hmm. doesn't exist anymore so like this is unfortunate timing so they have to kind of like reconstruct like East Germany so like you know they'll have to um like put something on her window because like someone's putting a big coca-cola billboard up or you know she'll be like oh I really want these like pickles and like there were only these like government issued pickles that you could like only get like in East Germany so um yeah it's really funny how like they do that but it's also really like really really interesting because it explores like yeah I guess like what happens like what happened when the wall fell and then like a lot of those problems with reunification and like the like nostalgia like the nostalgia for the way you th- things used to yeah. be so, yeah definitely recommend that um I also love anything to do with the Kennedys like I've watched so many bad like telly movies like yeah. I think Jackie might be one of my favorite movies. It's Yeah, that's so interesting. Good. Yeah. It's so um, beautiful. And I watched a strange one where like Rob Lowe was JFK. Oh. Um, I think it was like a Hallmark movie, but that was oh. that was fun. <laughs> that was weird. Um, yeah. Yeah. What have you been uh listening to this month, Micah? So maybe a weird listen, but an amazing yeah. listen. I've been listening to the new Charlie Puth album. Um, okay. Okay. So my boyfriend actually got me onto this because he listens to more new music than I do. And and also because he read this New York Times interview with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and turns out Charlie Puth hates his old music. So like anything pre this album, he like refuses oh. to play. Like, so wait, is this like, he did one song with like 
Megan Trainer or yeah, something. That song. Mean. He despises that song. That was the Marvin Gaye and get it on. Get it yeah. on. Yeah, okay. That one, yeah, I can see why you're probably just not a fan of that. Um, what was what was some other one? Right. So one of Charlie Poof's most famous songs is um See You Again, which is the Paul Walker tribute thing. And I think he I always thought that was Sam Smith. Yeah, no, it's him. Um and he do right now. He'll still play that at concerts, but most of the yeah. stuff he won't. So it turns wow. out he actually like cares about the music and the quality of the music. Mm. Um and so his new stuff is really catchy like attention is fun and you have to like like it's getting played a lot but if you listen to the bass in it it is beautiful like they put it at the front of the song and it's yeah. just so good and like intense um the whole album is a lot of fun he kind of does his own take on different eras so fun story he wrote a boys to men esque song just to be like oh. i'm gonna write this and then he emailed it to boys to men and then the next day they sent him back an additional verse and then now they're on the album oh that's cute super cute so it's just a lot of fun um it's really interesting okay. the article's super interesting we'll look at it link it in the show notes um apparently he like so pop artists don't have bands they kind of like hire session yeah musicians and then they hire people to go on tour and apparently it like he really cares about his touring musicians like learning the songs and Mm. it's quite difficult because he like has very complicated bass and very complicated drums and they have to sync properly um kind of like i could never imagine performing a vampire weekend song like from the first two albums because they're so just like oh they're like they're so they're kind of all over the place but they're not all over the place they're so precise and you have to get them right yeah yeah um so apparently his like learning his stuff is like that and he's like very like dedicated to making sure that people get it right so it's kind of cool I to like really want to check this out now it's just like, yeah i maybe i'm overhyping it but i've just like been in a like i just need, like happy good music the album. yeah um would definitely um i really like listening to la girls which is like the third song on the album at like top volume while driving at night oh. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's very, um, what's the, we can be heroes. Yeah. <laughs> Just for one day. Yeah, it's very, very practicing a wallflower of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, cool. Thank you for that recommendation, Micah. I and everyone else appreciates it. Yeah. Yeah. Any uh, pop stars that you're a big fan of that you think other people aren't? Well, everyone knows my my two big ones, mm-hmm. um, 1D and Taylor Swift. Um, they they started off as guilty pleasures, kind of like Twilight. I'm no longer ashamed of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, love them. Um, obsessed. Always have a good jam. Um, also, if you were around me in 2016, you will know that I – freaking loved cake by the ocean by dnc like i just think that that's probably one of my favorite pop songs ever i just think it is a very very well constructed pop song that's fun yeah i like i would i remember i was going on some like road trip and it was like eight hours and i was like could i just listen to cake by the ocean for eight hours like i could i just think it's such a such a well constructed um pop song so um, yeah, this is a very Jonas orientated, um, oriented. I don't know what the right word is. It was the 10 year anniversary of their first album recently, a little bit longer. Are you kidding? It was, and, uh, it's been so long. Like, also, so uh, Burning Up by the Jonas Brothers. Like, I always retweet when no, it comes to that love tweet. Love Bug. Like, 
Oh, that's pretty that's good. So- the one that's like, did you know the Jonas Brothers invented music in 2008 <laughs> with burning up? And I'm like, they did. They did. And that was a great music video. It was, that's a phenomenal. That's um, the one on the ship, right? No, Love Bug's the one on the ship. Uh, burning Up is the one where they do like the James Bond things. Right. And Selena is in it. What a different time. But a yeah, lot- yeah. That's, uh, yeah. So um, I should probably listen to some more Jonas Brothers this month, but um, I've yeah. actually been pretty influenced by reading Meet Me in the Bathroom. Um, mm-hmm. So like that kind of era of, mu- of music and Britpop, like the, like the, the UK like mid nineties kind of thing. Um, they've always been my favorite eras of music since I was like 14. Um, but you know, like, like I switch it up and then this month I've got like heavily back into the, the early two thousands rock stuff. So, um, a lot of Interpol, the Walkman, uh, the Strokes, Guided by Voices, the National, um, just like a lot of like moody dudes but um they're usually pretty good songs for running which i've been trying to do a bit more yeah um yeah uh interpol will be releasing a new album soon by the time this podcast comes out it will probably be out uh it's called marauder um and i'm super excited about it they've released the singles the rover and number 10 already i love them uh, i've got tickets to see them in november in dublin um so i will talk probably a lot more about interpol then but yeah that's pretty much our our month in consuming entertainment so now it is on with the show on with the show so for the politics section this week um i thought i would talk a little bit about the politics of sex ed for a couple of reasons firstly because it's something i'm deeply passionate about bugs me that um, this is a thing that's political. Um, and two, because it's kind of been a big topic in Canadian news and sometimes, like last week, something happens in Canadian news and it applies to all of us or is just interesting. Um, so kind of weird question, but I think it kind of needs to be established is that we need to define what sex ed is because it varies and that's part of what makes it political. Um, and there's kind of two different views. You either have a comprehensive sex education, which encompasses everything, so gender identity, relationship safety, consent, uh, how to use a condom, what an STI is, things like that. Or you have abstinence-only sex ed, which teaches kids that they shouldn't have sex. The end. Okay, I get you. I'm following. Yeah. Um, And it's political, and when we talk about politics, we like to talk about the people who are struggling over the power of who gets to decide who has sex not just who has sex, but what education those people who have sex have. Um, And, like, big players include the government. So in most cases, I would not most probably, but in the first world, in this very antiquated term, developed nations, um, the government chooses who gets to have what sex education because governments run classrooms. Yeah. Um, The other major player are parents, um, and this is kind of – a debate in other things like vaccinations of what rights do parents have versus what rights do their children have. Yeah. That kind of figures into how you frame the debate. Um, religious organizations have a huge amount of um, influence on sex ed in different parts of the world because um, it's about morality. And then the two like political organizations that have a lot to do with it are more recently LGBTQ organizations um, because they 
care about teaching kids about diversity of sexualities and diversity of genders, but they also really care about um, STI um, education, specifically AIDS. So a big part of like um, the like and not anti-AIDS, but the activism around AIDS in the 80s and 90s was about sex ed. It was about yeah. getting kids condoms. It was teaching kids how to use them um, and teaching them what AIDS was and getting rid of that stigma. Yeah, and yeah, that yeah. so advent, important. Yeah, um, really important. And so now with the advent of PrEP, which is a drug you can take, to, and if you take it consistently and properly, you can have unprotected sex and not get um, HIV. And... Um, so they really care about that. And then the other kind of political group who's a part of that um, are feminists. And this is more of like a historical thing because feminism, especially second wave feminism, was a lot about um, the power of knowing about yourself. Um, so one of a really famous publication that came out of the second wave is called Our Bodies, Ourselves. And it's about, it's just kind of like a manual about what it is to be a woman and like, contraception and diseases but also like menstruation and stuff like that yeah Um, super um influential i think a lot of people in north america read that growing up and then also like it encapsulates a lot of feminist ideas so abortion is obviously like a big part of um feminism and then sexual assault is also a big part of the feminist discourse so they care quite a bit about what kids learn um so yeah, those are the major players. And then why do we care about sex ed? Well, there's the basic like health and safety. Yeah. Um, you don't want STIs. Um, you don't want to get, maybe you do want to get pregnant, but you want to get pregnant when you want to get pregnant. Yeah. Um, and then the newer kind of um, sex ed curriculums talk about how to have healthy relationships and also how to have healthy relationships in the modern era. So it teaches kids about like being safe online and like stranger danger that is kind of important and um like parents might not even know how to address that with their kids yeah Um, I think that's really really great I was um reading something quite a while ago um because it was talking about you know like starting this kind of sex education with like like little children like who are mm -hmm like, you know, just starting school. And I, I think first a lot of people are like, oh, do we really need to be doing that? Like, uh, yeah. but it's not like what you immediately think of as like sex, sex education. Like it's not even teaching them what sex is. It's just like, hey, if anyone's like touching you there, that's not cool. Like yeah. that kind of thing. Um, I think they were saying like in Sweden, they even had like, um, it's even giving kids like language for their body parts and things mm-hmm. like that. Because like, I mean- like I'm not gonna say it's like weird but like I think it's like a lot of the anatomical words like difficult for children and it's not things that they like naturally say so like Mm -hmm. I think they had like a like a specific like word in Sweden that was just like a little bit more like child-friendly but was still like anatomically accurate so yeah that was really interesting yeah yeah no it's I think we forget what like is actually important to talk yeah. about with kids that we might find awkward. Um, the other important thing and why sex ed is political and so contentious is that it is a question of morality and it's not just the morality of like sex before marriage is bad, which is a type of morality, but it's also about like the rights of children and youth to know about themselves, yeah. and their bodies and the world that they live in. 
Um, and then also, like, the morality of who gets to make decisions for children, which is, like, with parents' rights. And I think it's something that, like, depending on the situation, people have different opinions on. Like, mm-hmm. the government gets to decide if a child is in danger from the parent, but only in very specific situations. Yeah, or even, like, on a another level, um, like... I know people who are raising their children vegan Mm -hmm. and everyone's like, oh, well, like, what if your kid didn't want to be vegan? And I'm like, well, what if your kid didn't want to grow up eating meat? Like, I mean, I'm vegetarian now and like, I don't like like, blame my parents for giving me meat when they were, when I was a child, but like, you know, I probably, like, I wouldn't have chosen that for myself kind of thing. So like, it's just when it's what's kind of against the norm, I think people are like, oh, well, like, would your child choose that? And you have to be like, well, would they have chosen the norm either? So yeah. And it's it's like, there's a balance too, because like your parents are responsible for making sure you're like happy and healthy. Yeah. Yeah. What they thought was like, you needed to eat meat, but the moment you have the ability to like consciously say, well, I don't want to, like, then you come into this space of, do you have that like do you have the right to choose just like yeah i'm very lucky that they supported me in a very healthy way like yeah so so that's really interesting and then something that i think people don't think about when they think of sex ed is like the financial cost of it which is when we talk about government something that should be very important and sometimes is important so like there's the cost of just running the program yeah depending on where you are in the world either it'll be run by like people they bring in or it'll be just taught by random teachers yeah which is a bit odd um but then there's also the cost of like not learning about your body so um in places where there is actual health care um it now is up to the government to cure you if you didn't learn how to not get an STI and it's up to the system to take care of your child and you if you get pregnant at a time when you can't support that child yeah um and that sounds maybe like a bit those young darn kids but it's also just like a fact and there are things that the society can do to improve people's lives and then by improving their lives it like reduces costs down the line yeah um, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I thought we'd make it a bit. Use my one of my favorite um, feminist like political tools, which is the idea that the personal is political, um, meaning that like everything you do in your life has some political meaning in it. And we talk a little about our own experiences with sex ed. So I will start. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Oh my god, this is like girl talk. <laughs> um, I think. I actually had really good sex ed. Um, it started oh, in grade right. one, kind of like in Sweden, where you learn about like anatomy. And this yep. woman came in, and her name was Salima Manoon, which is I love it. a funny name for children to say. And she'd come in every year. It was only once a year, which was a bit weird. Um, but it was the most exciting day, and she'd come in with a pop-up book. And the oh. pop-up book would like, the uterus would pop out of it. And then the penis would pop out. And it was oh just my God. really like graphic. Stop. and um and every year we were so excited for her to come in and talk to us about like anatomy and yeah. like, the fact that you have private parts and that some people shouldn't be allowed to touch them if you don't yeah. want them to and yada yada um so that was really good um I think for the most part we learned quite a bit it's kind of hard looking back to know how much I just like as a curious person who was interested in like the politics of sexuality like how much I learned myself from the internet and how much I learned 
from school, but I don't think we really did talk about like LGBTQ issues or like gay people at all. Um, and we didn't talk about consent, which is something that like is mind boggling. Like the, I don't think the like explicit, like on, the only consent is a enthusiastic yes was ever said to us. Hmm. Um, like there was like the don't kiss people if they don't want to be kissed, but like not verbalized in that way. And then like the time when you need sex ed the most, we stopped getting it. Like, oh, okay, right. Like the last year we got sex ed was grade nine. So like there was still three more years of high school. Yeah. We didn't like get any of that information. And like kids are dumb and they forget things. Yeah. And shouldn't be there. I don't know. So I'm like pretty happy with what I got, but I think it could be much better. What about you? Yeah. Um uh I have no early memory of anything like that happening. I I mean that's not to say it didn't, but I would hedge my bet to say it didn't. <laughs> um literally no like yeah. My earliest memory would not so much be sex ed, but when I was in grade six, so I was like eleven slash twelve. Mm-hmm. Um Were you in Australia? Australia or Australia? Australia. Yeah. So I yeah, so I was like in Ireland for most of primary school and then I did the last two or three years in Australia. So yeah, grade six, I was in um Australia. I was like eleven or twelve. Um and this like van came to our school and you had to like crawl in and then mm-hmm. this giraffe puppet like told us not to do drugs. Um <laughs> yeah and was like this is what crack is and stuff like that. Um so yeah that was that was odd. Um mm-hmm. in hindsight that was odd. Um, yeah, it's a it's van. Like, yeah it's like a staple of like Australian schooling for That's like Jeffrey the giraffe to tell you like not to do heroin um and then remember the first year in high school we watched a very outdated cartoon video about like puberty and sex um Mm -hmm. and like no one felt like asking our male PE teacher questions um and then I think we were supposed to watch like a birthing video two years later um and the other classes watched it but we never did You, Um, you, you were saved it's yeah, I'm not sure if that's something, like, I know it falls under sex ed, but I'm not sure if that's something that, like, is completely necessary. Like, if I was picking out the necessary parts of it, like, I think watching childbirth probably isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, then in our last year of high school, so I would have been, like, 17, 18, um, like, this couple came to our school, mm-hmm. um, and we got separated into boys and girls so they mm-hmm. could, like, speak to us. Um, and I remember like the girls one was really interesting. Like this woman had had some like horrible experiences in her life and she was able to overcome it. And like, we were all like encouraged. Oh, we had to do this bit and it was like, right. Like what your ideal man is like or something. And I was like <laughs> tall, dark, handsome. No. Um, and then she was like, no, you should only be with someone who like respects you. And we were all like, yes, so true. Like it really, we were like. I am a Pawnee goddess. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. hear my roar. Um, then it got a little bit weird, though, at the end of the day. Um, and there was, like, a definite, like, don't have sex before marriage thing, yeah. like, that they kept. Because, like, yeah, that that kind of got a bit odd. Um, you went to I, a religious school, right? Like, I, I did go to Catholic school, yes. Yeah. Um, but, like, it wasn't, you know, like, super, super Catholic or anything. Mm-hmm. Um Oh, and then we could all write, like, anonymous questions. Um, and someone wrote, like, what do I do if I'm pregnant? And we were mm-hmm. all like, oh, 
my God. No one was pregnant. I think mm-hmm. it was just like a bit of a lull. Um, obviously, I don't really know what happened in the boys one. Um, from what I remember, I think like the guy was like, stand up if you've had sex and they were all kind of like looking around at each other like what and he was like i'm only joking because like that doesn't like determine your masculinity or something like that and then um they were like definitely hammered about like porn addiction so um yeah i would say i got most of my information from magazines um and the internet um that when you say the internet, it sounds creepy, right? But like, oh yeah, it sounds so creepy. I'm like, ooh, I'm on like the dark web, looking up like pictures of penises. Like, no, um, yeah, probably like TV shows. Oh, Friends. Oh, there was a bit. Oh, there was a bit. There was a bit mm-hmm. where they showed the clip of Friends where Ross finds out that Rachel's pregnant. And he's all like, "We used a condom," and they're like, "But it's only 99 percent effective." And I was like, "Yeah, knew that since I was seven, thanks to Friends." But like, <laughs> yeah, they did, they did play that there. Um, so yeah, probably like a lot from TV, movies, magazines, the internet, like good sources on the internet. Yeah. No, it's really interesting. Um, mm. And I'm kind of impressed that we all survived. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, there's, it's information that you need to know and like so many people don't learn it. Um, anyways, so now that we've talked a little bit about our own experiences with sex ed, I thought I'd talk a little bit about um, a couple countries that we have connections to you and then just um, a couple cool examples from around the world. So yeah, cool. it's hard to find general statistics about the entire globe and sex ed because it varies so wildly. Um, and as I mentioned before, in not all areas is it organized by um, the government and yeah. some, where the government can't or won't um, step in, NGOs tend to um, set up sex yeah. ed. Um, so that I'll stands for non-government organizations. Yes. Um, I learned that in my public relations classes. Um, there's a great article that I'll link in the show notes that talks about a couple of these, but one is like this great one in India that teaches kids about gender equality and sexual diversity and consent, which is just awesome. Um, and then another like important caveat to mention is that sometimes we forget that people need different types of sex ed. So this NGO in Romania has sex ed specifically for um, people with learning difficulties. So um, kids with autism or um, people with Down syndrome, stuff like that, who have like a different way of interacting with the world and don't always understand the social cues. So it teaches Mm -hmm. them about like what consent is and how to say no to people because sometimes people with these difficulties aren't able to say no. Yeah, I think that's really important to remember that like vulnerable populations have different needs. Um, yeah, I actually um saw a Law and Order SVU episode about that um mm. the other day. Speaking of Law and Order SVU, that is a form of sex education in my life. So yeah, yeah. um, not the worst one, oddly enough. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, in Canada one of the places I thought we'd talk about, it kind of varies province to province. So we have provinces like America has states, if you didn't know that. Um, yeah, and I knew that. Because <laughs> you're in the know. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the reason why it's been a hot topic in Canada recently is that there was just a change of government in um, Canada, in Ontario specifically. And I've written this wrong because... I'm a dumb, um, but... No, you're not, Mom. You're beautiful, and you're a strong, independent starfish. 
Yeah. So the change of government in Ontario <laughs> um, happened and Doug Ford is now the premier of Ontario. You might have heard of Rob Ford, who was the crack-smoking mayor of Toronto. Um, and his brother is equally awful. And one of his main um, campaign promises was to repeal this new sex ed curriculum that had just been put in place um, by the previous government. Um, and the, it was like the most progressive curriculum I've ever heard of. Um, it talked, it focused on consent, like that was the main staple, yeah. but it also talked about gender identity and sexuality, but also like internet safety and like all of these, like the bread and butter things that makes really good comprehensive sex ed. And he campaigned against it. And now instead of like writing their own stuff, they're just reverting back to the curriculum, which was created in 1998. That's a while um, ago. Yeah. A long, long time ago. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of, it's interesting. And I think it's important to remember that like, just because you get some legislation passed doesn't mean that it's safe. Um, and that there, are, it's like still a big debate um, about what our kids get to learn about. Um, and then, so it's interesting because Ontario is like a middle of like the political spectrum province and some provinces yeah. have much worse sex ed. So I thought while well, going through all of these places, I'd talk about one statistic that kind of is indicative of the sex yeah. education. Only, I mean, there are many other factors, but teen pregnancy rates are actually kind of a good kind of sense, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, poverty and uh, access to health care and all of these other factors are also do that. Um, yeah. But it's kind of interesting. So in 2010, which is the most recent statistic because Canada lost its census recently, um, in 28.2 uh, out of 1,000 um, teens get pregnant, got pregnant in 2010, which is a lot. Um, and it was that feels like a lot. Like I know people who have a thousand Facebook friends. Like imagine if twenty eight of them like had babies. Yeah. Um, in some of the provinces, in like twenty thirteen, New Brunswick specifically, it forty percent of teens were had gotten pregnant. Like, oh like, whoa! Girls. Holy crap! Yeah. Um, so we're not doing so hot in oh. Canada. Um, How about the U.S.? The U.S. is kind of the place where you hear the most horror stories. Um. But it, because it's like religion is such a big part of their politics um, and it varies quite a bit from state to state. Planned Parenthood actually did a survey, though, and showed that 96% of parents wanted some sort of sex ed in high school um, and that the majority of those parents wanted it to be comprehensive. Hmm. Um, they actually, I think the Guttmacher Institute, which is an institute all about sexuality in the States, did a um, study that shows that sex ed is actually declining in the U.S., so they used to have more and now there's less of it. Right. Um, and this is in part because there's this piece of legislation that says that they'll only give money, like the federal government will only give money if the sex ed is abstinence-based. So right. it can only teach you that you shouldn't have sex. Um, so what's their rate of teen pregnancy like? So in 2010, which is the same year as the Canadian stat, it was 35 in 1,000. Right. But really good in five years it went down to uh 22.3 in a thousand oh wow that's like, a, like yeah. quite dramatic right yeah like, it's quite dramatic because like um, yeah to even think of like what kind of cultural shift can happen in five years that's pretty crazy yeah in australia it was kind of hard to tell 
Um, it also varies state by state. Yeah. What's really good is that in 2014, it was only 12.9 out of 1,000 teens. Oh, that's teens. really good. Um, well, I mean, then, like, you know, you yeah. know what I mean? Just in comparison. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the one thing is that STIs are actually on the rise in Australia. This oh. is something that I found in a bunch of places. People are learning how to not get pregnant, but they forget about STIs. And I yeah, think, I'm just reading your notes on Ireland, which is the next country. And yeah. You're saying there that like they have a like a super low rate of teen pregnancy, so it's yeah. 7.8 in a thousand, decreased by 64 percent in 15 years. But again, SUIs are on the rise. So interesting. I kind of wonder. This is me entirely speculating that like after now that HIV isn't a thing that's so present in people's minds, we've kind of mm. forgotten about STIs. Like, yeah, oh, actually, we did an STI thing at school. I forgot about that. Yeah. And one of the big things, this is when maybe when we we're like 16, mm-hmm. and one of the big things they told us then was um, the other thing is like like women don't get a lot of like the symptoms and stuff. So that's mm-hmm. kind of like a problem like with it. Um, that's really yeah. true. It's yeah, like, so that's A lot of, of yeah. medical studies are on men and men yeah. women experience diseases differently. Yeah, exactly, um, yeah. So what you would think would be the symptom isn't actually the symptom that happens in a woman. And yeah. I, I also kind of wonder if it's like the pill is so easy to get now that like you can not aren't using other things. Yeah. And yeah. So you don't use a condom and then you get an STI. Yeah. Um, Interesting. So what is else is happening in Ireland? Um, Ireland is actually really exciting. Um, in 2018, like in April, um, they started introducing legislation to like universalize sex ed. And um, this is a lead uh, quote from uh an Irish article that says the new legislation um, guarantees the rights of students to receive factual and objective information on relationships and sexuality, regardless of a school's ethos. So they can't deny sex ed because they're like a Catholic school. Yeah. Um, Which is like the the state schools in Ireland. Yeah. Um, So it's kind of facing a bit of opposition from some of the people in parliament, but it looks like it'll probably pass. Um, But some people are worried that it's just kind of like a show of faith. So some LGBTQ organizations want them to promise money because you need need to write the curriculum and you need to teach people, like teachers, how to teach it to students. And that costs money. And there isn't any money set aside for that. I just want to say that I am Mm -hmm. like so, so proud to be Irish in the past few years because like- it's been really amazing. I've said this before, but like, it seems like so many other places are like getting fearful and like retreating back into um, like conservative policies and like Ireland just keeps moving forward. And like, Mm -hmm. it's like, we're such a young country and like one that, yeah, like every time we get an opportunity, it seems like we're, we're, we're doing, like I'm sure every time is not accurate, but like Mm -hmm. so many times we're taking like the, like the progressive route. And like, I just, yeah, it's, it's awesome to see. I'm very proud to be Irish. So yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those are some of the countries I thought we would talk about just because we have connections to all of them. Um, we do. Yeah. And so one, like if I had an action statement for everyone listening, I think it'd be interesting to kind of learn about sex ed in your area and what that looks like. Cause I think it's something that one um, youth have like the biggest stake in it and probably the biggest voice um if they wanted to and i assume everyone who listens to our podcast is a youngin in some sense um, <laughs> yeah um yeah and like stay informed and 
my favorite um, sex educator on YouTube has the best thing, and she says, stay curious, because you need to, like... Wait, who is this? Um, Lindsay Doe, her channel is called Sexplanations. We will right. also link it in the show notes, because she's wonderful. She's a sexologist. And she yeah, always- there's a lot of great, great stuff oh, on yeah. YouTube that... Um, um- yeah, no, thank you for that, Micah. I think that was um, super, super interesting. And it's something that like we we don't think a lot about. And um, maybe even that people were confused when they saw that it was our political topic for the mm. month. Like maybe they were like, wait, what? Um, but, you know, it like politics does have a lot to do with it. Um, that's interesting to educate yourself on. But even like on a like a personal politics level, just um, figuring out like you know, where you stand, educating yourself. And it's very important. So yeah, thank you for that, Micah. Welcome. All right. Now on to the pop culture segment of the show. I belong on MTV in the early 2000s. <laughs> um, this this month, uh, we're going to be talking about Kylie Jenner's 21st birthday party because yes. that shit was cray. Um, what else is pretty cray is that Kylie has like a baby, a makeup empire. She's on track to be the world's youngest self-made billionaire. Can we add asterisk self-made though? Yeah. Yeah. We discussed that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, she's only legal to drink as of like last week. So um, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, And she celebrated her birthday with a party on, I believe, Friday, August 10th, Mm -hmm. uh, which is her birthday in LA with all her friends and fam. So I'm going to run you through the event of the year. Sorry, Harry and Megan. This was probably a bigger party. <laughs> um, so, oh, just like a preface, uh, Kylie is the youngest of the Kardashian slash Jenner clan. Um, I know there's a lot of problematic elements with them, but there's also some real great stuff that they do. And um, I find their show a lot of fun. And I know the world is obsessed with them. So that is why we're going to talk about Kylie's birthday. Um, so the, the theme of the party, and this is a direct quote from Refinery29, is a pink stoplight party with a ball pit. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I had uh, no idea what this meant. I was like, what, what, what are those words? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's actually like a dating thing. So um, like traditionally you would have some sort of like a wristband or like a thing. Right, I've heard of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the green will be single, yellow is unsure, and red is taken. Mm-hmm. Um, Kylie's, it was a little um, bit different. Um, and this is based off what we saw on Kim's Instagram. Uh, mm-hmm. Kim Kardashian took a pic of the official rules and put on her story, and that was uh, pink equals taken, yellow is single AF, and green is it's complicated. Now, I really thought the green and the yellow had been reversed. So maybe I'm actually wrong on that, but you get the picture. Yeah. Um, so it was a pretty, pretty lavishly decorated parte. Um, there was like a huge mural of the family. Um, the bartenders wore shirts with Kylie's Forbes cover on it. The one that was saying she was on track to become the youngest self-made she, billionaire. So she didn't, um, like absorb any of that criticism, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you ever been to a stoplight party? I haven't. It seems like such a um, like, like a an American thing? university thing. Like, oh, I thought it kind of had like a swingers vibe to it, but it kind of also yeah. does have a swingers vibe to it. But I've only ever heard yeah. about it. Um, I actually, I think a friend at um, the Party University of Canada, Queens, has been to one. Um, okay, that makes sense. No, I uh, 
No, I mean, smart idea because it makes everything very clear and upfront and I'm so down to just like tell people how it is straight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you ever been to like a really cool themed party then? Hmm. Uh, my friend does an annual thing called the Beer Olympics. Oh. Separates everyone into teams and then there are drinking games and then some of us drive and don't participate in the drinking games um, because we're responsible adults. We are. Um, Yeah, but other than that, um, I need to go to more themed parties. I want to dress up and like have, do that. Yeah, um, as I mentioned in pretty much every podcast, I'm a huge fan of dressing up. Um, Mm -hmm. I went to a 90s themed one on the weekend and I dressed up as um, Neil from Art Attack. Um, Though I realized that not everyone had art attack as a child because I don't think it existed in Australia um and people were like what are you and I'm like "Mm, like it's on my chest I'm clearly Neil from art attack but anyway um I used to do a lot of themed parties in high school um because I'm like a bit of a Leslie nope when it comes to celebrating things like I celebrate like every every day so we did like we used to like decorate like a table in our high school um so we did galentine's day um saint patrick's day is a big one Mm -hmm. um halloween yeah gotta love those um but i just had like regular people of mine kylie had um a lot of famous faces she had all her sisters um her mom chris and chris's boyfriend Corey. Um, her dad, Caitlyn Jenner was there. Her boyfriend, Travis Scott was there. The weekend, Bella Hadid, I'm assuming together, uh, <laughs> model Winnie Harlow was there. Um, but yeah, the, it's kind of like an awkward situation because I know like, um, some of her sisters don't get on with, with Caitlyn. Um, have you ever had to handle inviting guests who have conflict to a there's always like a bit of drama no matter yeah. like what you're doing um i think like the solution to that like you should be able to invite who you want to your party but you should be yeah. you should be upfront with the people who might have drama be like hey i want to invite this person come if yeah. you want or don't but yeah i think that's totally fair because like at the end of the day it's your party so if they're like willing to put things aside to celebrate Mm. you awesome if they're not that's fine as well like they just shouldn't make it like a personal thing like they need to look at things from like your perspective as Mm. well and be like oh like I can see why she would want that person there like unless they've done something like you know like I'm not gonna invite someone who's done something truly awful to my friend like because I'm not inviting like my friend's ex who cheated on her like no. no because like why would I still be friends with that person like they're clearly not a good person but like you know yeah um it's obviously different in this situation um but Kylie looked absolutely freaking fly I'm sure you've seen the outfits all over the place mm-hmm. um so the first thing she wore was like this pink cutout dress for like dinner with like her mom and her sisters mm-hmm. um that was beautiful and then she changed into the one you've probably seen everywhere. It is, um, it was a custom made jumpsuit covered in pink Swarovski crystals. Um, and apparently it would retail for about $8,000. So <sighs> yeah, lot. yeah. Um, and it's already um, being replicated uh, within course. like, tw- yeah, within 24 hours. Um, Fashion Nova, who are pretty big on Instagram, um, unveiled their birthday behavior collection which includes replicas of two of kylie's looks so there was mm-hmm. the 
the 20 fun satin dress, which was the first one, and then the birthday bash sequin romper. So, um, yeah, that's an interesting comment we can make on like fast fashion and that kind of thing. That's impressive. Um, yeah. But also, like, um, who is sewing the clothing and what's that? Like, happening? yeah, how did they get that ready in 24 hours? It, it, it scares me. Uh, but um, in other um, outfitty bits, Kylie also wore a hair extension that would reportedly retail for up to $8,000. It was this like huge blonde ponytail. Um, So the hair extension artist, Violet Turidi, I think that's how I pronounce it. um, She told Refinery29 that she used $8,000 worth of hair to make the extra long ponytail what it was. This is a quote from her. She's saying, Kylie's weft was about 400 grams, which I typically sell for between six dollars and $8,000. It's Slavic hair sourced from Russia. There's nothing better than that hair because it's the only hair that doesn't need to be bleached and processed so many times or even toned and glossed. It's naturally already highlighted. So, yeah, that was like a $16,000 outfit. Like, that's, that's insane. Her hair is long. That's impressive. Yeah. It's long as, yeah, it's $8,000 long. Um, yeah, pretty wild. Uh, have you ever made a huge fashion splurge? Um, what have I fashion splurged on? Oh, <laughs> my winter coat for Boston. Uh, like $250, $300 on it. It was very yeah. expensive, but it was the best purchase I've ever made in my life. Yeah, I'm kind of um, with you on that. So, like, when I did my my school, like, dances and stuff, I actually bought my dresses um, vintage from Etsy. And, Cute. like, they were, they were freaking stunning, but they were, like, $20. Because, mm-hmm. like, my philosophy was, like, I'm not going to wear them again, am I? Like, they're, like, this was, like, like a like a mint green ball gown. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to wear that many times. So, I'd rather, like splash out on staples like a good winter coat because yeah. you know like yeah i cotton. made my dresses for my grad yeah yeah like, you want to splash fun, out on but staples, also like cost per wear blah 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 mm-hmm. um i would say like one of the things i bought um like when i started my job when i was 14 i like my first paycheck i put some money in savings to go mm-hmm. to america um just just to let everyone know how long my I need to go to America um, thing has been around seven years. Um, and I also put, um, took some money out and bought a pair of Doc Martens, um, mainly because um, Damon Albarn from Blur had a red, like a cherry red pair that he wore for like in the album insert and the promo pics for their second album, um, Modern Life is Rubbish, which I believe came out in 1993. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I took style cues from like a man in 1993, but those shoes are freaking insane and I They're love awesome. them. Yeah, and like they, it's been seven years and I still have them. So that's the kind of thing I think I'd splash out on. Maybe not um, hair. a hair extension or a sparkly jumpsuit. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Kylie doesn't, doesn't care. She rats. She's nearly a billionaire. Um, and she, she got some pretty sick gifts. Um, she received a 1950s Rolls Royce from Travis Scott. Um, and she seems to get like, oh, like all her boyfriends seem to get her cards for her birthday. It's wild. Um, like 
it's just PSA. If anyone wants to buy me a car for my birthday, um, that'd be awesome. I, I love you. Um, <laughs> and she also received a pink Can-Am spider with custom unicorn print. I read that off the internet. Um, it's actually like a motorbikey thing. Yeah. Um, and apparently it would cost at least $21,000. Um, and the car is estimated to be between twenty-five and eighty-five thousand dollars, which is a very large range. Um, like the second one is like yeah. three times the first one, but whatever. Um, she got a luxury trunk from her mom, Chris, which is believed to have cost between five and ten thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, she also got a Takashi Murakami for Louis Vuitton Alzo sixty suitcase. This is like a vintage item. Mm-hmm. Um, that's between five and seven thousand dollars um and then like lots of gifts from companies like boohoo.com sent her a ping pong table um she got like a lot of birthday cakes and floral arrangements and they're estimated to have got like you know at least a hundred thousand dollars in gifts so you know that's that's cool um what's the best present you've ever got micah it was a car My parents oh, were like, shit. "That's a good one." Yeah. No, my parents were like, "It's your whatever seventeenth birthday," and they're like, "This is your birthday present and your Christmas present and your next yeah. year's birthday present and your next year's Christmas present." <laughs> it was still a very good present, and I appreciated it dearly. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really yeah. great. Um, someone at work asked me this question the other day, and so I'm just gonna go with the answer I gave them because, it, like, I came up with it in a split second. I'm like, maybe it's true then. But I got a rabbit for my sixth birthday um yeah i wanted a pet for a very long time we only had some goldfish and i've always been like a big animal person so i decided i wanted a rabbit um i went to the pet shop i picked him out um 90 percent sure he was just like a wild rabbit captured from the fields near our house (laughs) um because like he was just really weird also he was gray and like how many gray rabbit like pet rabbits do you see like not a floppy eared one like a pointy eared gray rabbit and then like all the other ones that were there were like brown ones Mm -hmm. so I just feel like he was a wild rabbit and I remember like looking and there was this like fat brown one in the corner and I was like oh I'll take him my dad was like no go for the one with the personality um so we took the crazy one that was like zipping around um the enclosure and that's basically what he did his entire life um his name was Easter um because i was born on easter saturday so my birthday is oftentimes around easter also easter bunny so you know what it was pretty freaking clever for a six-year-old um so yeah i i loved him we gave him to my cousin when we moved to australia um and he lived quite a while like yeah he was he was a, he was a good rabbit i love him mm-hmm. so yeah um but speaking of carly's presents i mentioned cakes um there was a lot of cakes going around. Um, there was also some Kylie Jenner cookies, like cookies in the shape of her when she had like green hair and stuff. Um, cool. And the main birthday cake was this like five tier sparkly cake. And it had lots of like drunk Barbies on it, mm-hmm. um, including one that was like face down on the top of the cake wearing Kylie's outfit. And that sort of foreshadows the major goss that emerged from the party. Now, <laughs> I don't want to say this in like a mean way, but like, so I'm just going to fill you in on the details and you can think what you want. But yeah. basically pictures emerged of a blonde woman lying face down on a stretcher being taken out of the party by paramedics. And Damn. Caitlin's like looking on in concern. Everyone's like, what the heck is going on? Anyway, 
it was identified to be not just a random person, but Australian fitness Instagram star, Tammy Hembrow. So um, I actually like obviously knew of her before because she's like a kind of big deal in Australia. Yeah. She um, is 24. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has 8.6 million followers on Instagram. And she kind of posts a lot of like fit pics as well as like snaps of her two children. Um, and she was in a campaign with Chloe a little while ago. So we're assuming that like, that's the connection to the family there. But yeah, she was like being wheeled out of the 21st on a stretcher face down. Um, so everyone was like, what the hell is going on? Anyway, she took to YouTube to explain it. She said, and I'm going to directly quote her. Firstly, I want everyone to know that I'm okay. So yeah, I pretty much collapsed. Honestly, I'm already like super, super embarrassed about it. I probably definitely shouldn't have been drinking because of how (laughs) jet lagged and exhausted I was. And I already wasn't feeling well. So basically what happened was I was in LA. I was running off pretty much 30 hours of no sleep. I was struggling to stay awake even when I had my hair and makeup done. I could barely keep my eyes open. Um, And yeah, obviously then she went to the party and it it didn't go well. So um yeah um the kardashians are pretty silent on it until eventually chris spoke to an australian radio station and said i hope she's okay uh, i actually left before any of that happened i typically go to bed at nine o'clock so it was way <laughs> past my bedtime and i was like chris i love you um adding that she still wasn't sure what happened chris said i'm not sure i still don't know i asked several people and then I saw she did a video explaining that she was very jet lagged and didn't feel well. I'm so happy she was okay. We, meaning the Kardashian Jenner family, had so much fun. So I'm glad you had fun and none of you guys are wheeled out on a stretcher. Yep. Um, then to add to the gauze, because obviously, like, you know, she was just not feeling well and like, you know, jet lagged. You're like, oh, no drama, whatever. Mm-hmm. But Kylie and Chloe still follow her on um, Instagram. But Kim, Chris, and Courtney have all hit the unfollow button. Damn. Yeah, so I, I feel awful for her because everyone's had a time where they've been a little bit worse for wear um, at, like, an event. I mm-hmm. mean, like, thankfully, I think for most people, it's just, like, their uncle's wedding or, like, you know, a friend's 18th or something. Yeah. But Kylie Jenner's 21st, that's a bad time. That's, like, that's <laughs> – the world is watching that, so I, I, I feel for her, of course. Yeah. Yeah, that was basically the party of the year. Uh, oh, I mean, like, I turned 21 earlier this year, and I, I went to college during the day, so that was pretty wild. And then um, I went out for Italian food with my parents. So, you know, I don't know, Kylie. I think I might have one on you. So. I mean, I my birth 21st this year was on a Monday, and we went out to a club on a Monday. And oh, no. It was kind of <laughs> awesome. But it was definitely not Kylie Jenner. Uh, Whatever. 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 Who can be Kylie? Um, Anyway, so uh, that's pretty much us for this week, this month, I guess. Um, We'll be back to you next month talking about who knows what. Um, If you want to catch up with us in the meantime, I am on Instagram and Twitter as at Yasmin Lomax. And I am on Instagram and Twitter as at Miss Clearwater. And then our pod socials are at DTCBS podcast. So um, that obviously stands for different things can be said podcast at DTCBS podcast. We're posting lots of memes on the gram, lots of cool pics. Definitely check us a follow and hit that heart button. Did you know I was, I reckon I was using like when I first got Instagram, I was like directly trying to make my finger touch that. Touch like, the heart, heart button. 
Yeah, and then Just like it was a while. That. Yeah, a while before I realized the double tap thing. It's very so, cute. So go and double tap like all of our posts. Yeah, like in maybe a kind of creepy way. Well, that's okay. Mm-hmm. We that like that kind cool of creepy. Yeah. Anyway, we'll catch you next month. Bye. Bye. Bye.